Good morning, River City Church. Thank you. It's so good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, my name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you to River City. If it's your first time, we're so glad to have you. There will be a chance later in service for you to meet um, various people throughout the church um, here at River City. We read from the lectionary at the beginning of service. It's a way for us to intentionally connect to the global church. There are churches all over the world who incorporate the lectionary um, in their service. Um, you can also use the lectionary for study or devotional. Um, the website is lectionarypage.net, or you can talk to anybody, myself, or anybody on the staff about how you can incorporate the lectionary through the week. Um, and this one really, a lot of psalms sounds like poetry, poetry, but this one really resonated this week when I was reading and praying over it as a very poetic way in which um, the Lord is faithful for it to us. And it says, I will extol, extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, and by all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we gather around spiritual formation, living in love, creating space, um, community transformation here at River City. We gather around love and community. We gather around your word, Father God. We gather and remember that we are your bride. Lord, we thank you that you are not bound by time or constraints, that you and your love is forever and ever. We thank you that your praises are just upon us. We thank you that you are kind and good. We thank you, Father God, for our River City family and our visitors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. of our praise. You have not left the scene. You have not forgotten. You have not missed a moment in time. You are sitting on the throne and you are worthy of our praise and our adoration. So we exalt your name high above all other names.
This morning we pray. We pray for the universal church. We pray for the churches um, all over the world that are, are fighting with the government to have a place in their country. We pray for the church in China that seats 3,000 believers that was demolished. For the believers that have all of a sudden lost their place of worship. Bring comfort to them. Unify the body in China. Surround each other. pray for the religious tensions in Ethiopia as churches are burned, the fight for religious freedom and, and the tensions that surround that. God, we pray that you would intervene in the ways that only you can. The believers would find themselves knowing that they are, you are more near to them than they have ever known. for supernatural peace. And we pray, God, for the other estimated 245 million other persecuted church Christians around the world. God, that you would draw near to them, that praise would be on their lips, that they would know that there is no harm that can come against them that would overtake them because you are with them. Surround them. May we not forget how blessed we are. May we not forget those who are in suffering. We pray on their behalf and we say, come Lord Jesus, be near. And may they be reminded that you are on the throne. We pray for the, the protests in China and the earthquake in Iran that injured 300 plus. We pray for the flooding in the UK, for the, the fires that are um, taking over Australia and California, that you would be near to those that are suffering. God, I pray that you'd make it so clear locally where those natural disasters are occurring, where the, where the place for the church to step in and be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus. Give them in route to know how to serve the people affected well. Give them good, positive relationships that they would partner with the government to send aid. God, we pray for the Mormon family who was car bombed in Mexico the devastation and the loss, the rocking and the shaking that is affected and how that's affected the community. God, we pray that you would love them in a way that only you can love them, that your love for them and that you and your sovereignty and your faithfulness would be on display to that community. Be near to the hurting and the brokenhearted. locally for Smyrna right now as there's mayoral runoffs. God, I pray that you would go before whoever the future mayor is going to be, that you would go into the office of the mayor and that you would surround that office with your presence. Give them sound mind. Give them people that would, they can be trusted. Give them vision that would be for the good of the city. 
unity to Smyrna. We pray for those who um, are homeless, without electricity, as the weather gets colder, God, that you would provide supernaturally a comfort to them, but also, God, that we would be aware of what our place is in meeting those needs. Give us wisdom and discernment that we would leverage the privilege and the resources that we have for the other. those in our body, in our local River City community, God, we pray for Cosby's foot, that you would just bring supernatural healing to that, that you would expedite the healing process, give him everything that he needs in the recovery process. We pray for Allison's grandmother as she um, is suffering with um, Bell's palsy. God, I just pray that you would restore healing to her that you would surround her with community and with people to love her well as she's in New York. May her community surround her, that she would know she is not alone. There's no shame or embarrassment that comes with that. That she would know your love more clearly in this season. We pray for the Hamill's friend, Nick. God, we just pray that you would intervene in the way that really only you can, that they so desperately are needing to see you move. God, we pray for physical, spiritual, mental, emotional healing and restoration brought to his body. That you would bring comfort to his family as they are weary and tired. Bring rest. Pray for Leslie's friend who's suffering with seizures and she is pursuing health. God, we just pray that you um, would surround her with community to walk this very hard road. May they help and wisdom give the doctors and her friends the next best steps to help her. And in, and in all of this, we surround all of our prayers and the weariness that is on our hearts. God, we we, at the end of the day, may we remember that you are on the throne. And so though we might feel downcast and though we might feel weary, we remember that you are on the throne. And so we know that victory is ours. May we proclaim that even when we don't feel it, even when we feel like we don't see it, may we proclaim your victory. All right, I'm going to bring the fire, guys. You guys ready? <laughs> Amen? We're going to do fire fall down during ministry time, and God's going to do something. <laughs> All right, um, well, I don't even know. Like, how do you move forward, right, after that happens? Uh, well, I think if you're still here, then it's kind of on you, right? Like, it's either I think, like, God wants you to hear something, maybe. I don't know. Um, it's, maybe that was the refiner's fire. Amen? I know there's so many. I have a list of jokes right here. <laughs> Prepped it beforehand. Um, okay, so I would like to, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible um, because it is 1140. Um, and I want to, first off, maybe just say a prayer because I think that like this is, this has been kind of like one of those weeks to me that like what just happened is absolutely not surprising. Like I was like expecting more stuff. And I think that 
I was very, even in worship, like very in touch with my, um, kind of some of the, the fire of life and some of the trials and the struggles, um, even within myself. And then also like during worship, feeling that of those of you in the room who have a lot going on and it feels very broken and disheartening. And so I was already planning to pray. Um, and so I think I would love to maybe just take a couple minutes, and maybe we don't even preach today, I don't know, but to pray for those of you who feel like real weighty today. Um, maybe you feel like things are just constantly shaking and you can't seem to like settle. I think that the times I realize this happening for me is when I feel very disoriented, even in like social settings, like conversationally, I'm like, why am I even talking to you? And I'm just, I feel like very disoriented in the way I like communicate, like God, it feels very distant. It just feels like you kind of go through motions. And so some of these things are like things that happen to us, but they're also these things that, that we are self-induced. Like we've created environments where things feel, cause us to feel broken. And some of them are like environments where like in relationships that are causing brokenness to happen to us. And so I want to just maybe pray and like if there were, and this will be me today, but if there's anybody bold enough, just raise your hand. Like that's kind of you, you're in a hard spot, like even maybe this week. Anybody? People here. Who else? I think there's more. Keep your hands up, I think. This would be good. Here. Here. Yeah. Raise it high. Come on. This is us, right? This is life. I'm going to, I want to just pray for, for those of us in this spot right now. As I think that maybe even this is where God is trying to lead us today, um, that even in the midst of the fire of life, that God wants to extinguish something. So, um, if, you, if, if will these people just stand? Like, if you're, if you're, I know Ryan's like, I knew you're gonna do this. Oh, I'm gonna do it. And gather around these people. I think that this is this is this is important right now. Even like those of you who are like sitting, like you're like, I don't, I didn't feel, I don't feel that brokenness myself, but you can feel it for the sake of another, right? So I want to be in touch with that. So God, we pray today that we would be in touch with our brokenness, that we'd be in touch with, with our pain, that God, it wouldn't destroy us, but God, that we would be, even in the midst of, of our shaky world, God, that we would remain unshaken. God, that you have created us in your image, that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, that you abide deep within our hearts, and that no matter what comes against us, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so we lean into you to say, yes, God, we, we see the things that are happening, but we even lean in deeper into you. And I, I, I just think that this is an opportunity to lean deeper into God. So we lean a little deeper and we lean on behalf of other people who feel like I just don't, I, God is too distant. We, we say God is, God is nearer than he's ever been. And so we trust that in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we've been talking in service a lot about spiritual formation and community transformation and how these things come together. And I think that Amidst the stuff that even the burden, I want to, as we kind of move forward, I want you to kind of hold in your hands the burden of even praying for another person, like the burden that a person, other person's carrying today. And even the pictures on the screens as we do prayers of the people, like carry those burdens. Like there was a, there was a Mormon family like burned alive in their car this week, right? And these are things that we can't just ignore. 
And that's a propensity that we have as Christians is to actually ignore pain, even while God is saying, hold it close, and maybe I'll bring healing to it. So I want you to, even as we move forward, to hold on to the brokenness and realize that spiritual formation can happen in the, it actually happens in the midst of our world. It doesn't happen in isolation from it, which I think is a propensity that we have in life to think that we are formed in here and then we go out. When actuality, a lot of our formation actually happens out there. We just don't have, this is just the place we get the tools to do that in life. So I am going to preach today out of Haggai, because as you do, right? Who in here has heard a sermon out of Haggai before? One person. No, we have a few. Good. I couldn't even find it in my Bible this week, guys. I kid you not. I spent 10 to 15 minutes. It doesn't have a header at the top of my Bible. I was like, this, this book doesn't exist. I think it's in one of those Apocrypha things or something. This is strange. I found it, and it's actually very meaningful. So we're going to preach out of Haggai. And before we do that, I want to look at the last time I preached, I kind of gave you guys some statistics about the state of the church. And I want to kind of revisit that and kind of develop it a little further. So this is a graph that shows church attendance with life stages. And this is kind of the, a normal trajectory of a person's life, right? So you, your parents make you go when you're under 18 and you're in church. And then gradually in your young adulthood, you rebel or some people find their way. And, it, and so your church attendance drops and then it moves typically back up. This is the average, like once you have married and have kids. And so the used to be the idea was you know, pastors would say like, oh, they're leaving church, but wait till they have kids and get married, they'll come back. And so it's this trajectory, and then there's usually this split of, yes, do I really even like church? Okay, I think I do. And towards the end of life, we've really found our place, or we drift away. And this has been the trajectory of the church, but it's actually changing very significantly. And so I want to read some statistics for you and to, to tell you how this has changed. So 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church have withdrawn from church involvement or dropped out completely. 75% of boomers identify as Christian compared to only 59% of Gen Z. Gen Z is essentially 1999 is when you were born or, um, or to today. 6% of overall U.S. population identifies as atheist but 13% of Gen Z identifies as atheist. So we actually have an increase in one generation that has doubled in who, who says that they're atheists. So this is, a, this is a dramatic shift. Like if you think about like if the church grew by, 50, by uh, what, 200%, we would be jumping out windows excited, right? This is the type of movement that has happened in in, in atheism, and then the shift that's happening in, in millennials and in Gen Z. And so this study is, called, is, is a study called Faith for Exiles. It was done by a person named Dave Kinneman. And what Dave Kinneman found is that there was 10% of these 18 to 29-year-olds who were very committed to church. Um, of those, um, they, he called them resilient disciples. So they're the 10% of those 18 to 29-year-olds that have weathered the culture shift and overcome the tensions they feel between church and everyday life. They are very active in the Christian faith beyond just showing up to church. So many of you in this room are probably part of that 10%. It's 
extremely rare, but there is something that I think that in the midst of seeing these, this drop off in church attendance and that in many ways that our faith, our religious faith is deteriorating in America, that there are this sliver of hope. And so I want to maybe identify what is the thing about these, this 10% that's causing them to stay? Because if we can focus on what is going really well with the ones who are staying, then we might find the answer to the future. And so what he found was that of these 10%, that, it, that they all agree with at least one of these statements. I want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the world I live in. Number two, God is more at work outside the church than inside, and I want to be a part of that. Or number three, I want to be a Christian without separating myself from the world around me. So what he's finding is that these resilient disciples are finding a way to connect their faith and it intersect with the world. So this is very, very important as we think about the future of us and the future of what we are offering to our children is we've got to become very aware of what is happening in the world and how Jesus actually has relevance. And this is, this is a shift that's been happening where if you look in the 1900s, there was a really big schism in the church that it would never have made a headline. But as science began to increase and you have things like evolution really starting to hit the forefront, it started to come into schools and Christians began to have to figure out the things in the Bible that I'm reading aren't really making sense with science. And they, they're telling me that they don't match up. And so the movement for the church was to separate themselves. And so you see a really high increase in Christian versions of things that were very normal, like Christian universities, uh, Christian music, Christian campgrounds is when, uh, anybody ever been to a Christian campground? I was saved at one, amen? We have Christian, uh, Christian radio, right? Like, I'm probably one of these uh, 10% of, of people who have weathered the storm. Christian radio makes me want to jump out of my car window. Like, I just, and I'm not saying it's bad. Like, somebody's like, I was saved through Christian radio, you devil. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, as we think through the future, we have to think through what, are, what, are, what is the next generation experiencing? Because I don't remember the good parts of Christian radio, right? <laughs> like, I only, I only think about the effects that it's had on my faith. And so, and so I, use me as an example of like, there are things that I think that nostalgia would tell someone who is older even in here that, that these are good things, but nostalgia also, also blinds us of what could be and what reality truly is. And so it became this kind of science or the Bible, right? And that's, we're, we're kind of lingering on the effects of that, and we're seeing a generation who is who has, has, to, has to essentially pick either it's science or it is the Bible above all else. And so it brings an important question to us, which is how do we as Christians relate to this world? We have to, and I, last time I preached, I, I talked a lot about putting on a new set of glasses in terms of how we see our neighbor, but I want to talk about how do we see our world, which is it's changing significantly. And so the reason I want to read it through Haggai today it's part of the lectionary, first off. But second off, the people, the, the Jews in, in Haggai's time were out, coming out of exile from Persia, and they were trying to rebuild the temple. And I think that if, what I'll kind of make the connection today is we are rebuilding the church. 
we are rebuilding the church. And Haggai offers some great encouragement for how do you rebuild the place in which God is most worshiped. And I'm not talking about that this is the place, you are the place, but how do we rebuild the faith and the belief that we can thrive and survive in this culture? Because I do believe that it's possible. So I want to see, I want to maybe ask that question. How did the how did the Jews during exile relate to their world, even in the midst of not having a temple? So we're going to read Haggai 1, 15 through 2, 9. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, So Zerubbabel was the governor over Judah. He would have been in charge. Governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, so the religious authority, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So some quick context. So Israel is always in and out of exile. So they, they start in, in exile in Egypt. They move, the Babylonians take them over. Then the Persians take them over. And then the Romans take them over. There are people who have lived as foreigners and even to this day are living as foreigners, even in, even in Israel, right? It's an extremely combative environment. And, it does, I, I, and I would assume it doesn't feel very homey because it is constantly at war. And so in 586 is when Babylon destroys the temple of the Jews. And Haggai is writing at 520 BC. So there has been 66 years where they are beginning to have to there's a whole generation of people who don't even know what it's like to have a temple. They don't even remember the, the life of having this connection with God through the temple, which was the place of worship. So in the, in the, the temple at its core has really two main principles. One is prayer and worship to God, and two is care for neighbor. And that it doesn't look like that often, but at the heart of Abraham's calling was a call to the neighbor. So if this is at the center of the temple, then they have completely lost how they can relate to God in, this, in their world. They have completely lost it. And there is this huge generational gap of 66 years. And so he asked them three questions. He says, who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? And I think many of us, including myself, we don't, I don't even, re, I don't have no recollection of a thriving church in America. That's not even anything. I'm 28 years old. I don't know that. Many of you do. But for me, 
And I think that as we think about future generations, this is the normal now. We don't have the nostalgia that, that keeps our faith, and that makes it extremely difficult. The second question he asks is, how does it look to you now? And we can't let nostalgia blind us. And the third thing he says, is it, is it not in your sight as nothing? And if you think I'm bleak, Haggai was much bleaker. <laughs> and so, but he gives them encouragement. He says a few things. Number one, take courage. He says it three times. Or it says in, the, in, in this version we read today, be strong. He says, work for I am with you. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. And so I can assume the response of the Israelis was, yeah, but we need the temple. We have to have the temple if we are going to have you with us. If we are going to have you abiding in our midst, the temple is absolutely necessary and it's been destroyed. So what are we going to do? And this is where the, the deviation for us comes because our temple is not made with hands. Our, our temple is much beyond what the Israelis knew. A few, a few verses, uh, this is Mark 14, 58. We heard him say, talking of Jesus, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This one's great, Re- Revelation 21, talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. These are verses that might show us that we are God's dwelling place and that this cannot be destroyed. Even if you destroy this physical form, even in the midst of the shakiest environment that the church has ever known, we will stand because God dwells in us. So Haggai gives a few warnings, though. He says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. And so I think this is how we kind of pray through prayers of the people and how I prepare for it is there are these natural disasters, right? There's these things that are shaking the earth and the sea and the dry land, and there are also these things that are shaking the nations, and there are these political things. And you know, I think that we get so shaken in our own lives that we can't even pay attention to the things that are happening out there. And the access to the information is so overwhelming that it's easier just to push it away and not deal with it when reality says that we're all holding our own brokenness and our, and our own shame and our own shaking, and God is calling us to at the same time hold that. And so how do we do that? I think that when we think about spiritual formation and community transformation, we have to realize that the world is forming us and it can form us in positive ways if we have the tools. And we know that when we are out in the midst of it, this is the thing that the world needs. It needs non-anxious presence. It needs people who would be out on shaking and in the midst of an earthquake that feel completely settled. Because we know that you can destroy this, but you will never destroy our God. You will never destroy the spirit that will live on beyond anything this world could ever have. So we are desensitized. And I think that we're also scared in a lot of ways. And we've been trained, at least, you know, from my experiences, I've been trained that I can't be in the world because it has a potential to form me into something I don't 
I can't be, yet when I'm in it, it actually reveals the stuff in me that needs to be formed. So we need to be in touch with our shaking world to rebuild the church. If you'll pull up 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4, it says this, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And this passage would reveal to us that things are going to get worse. Like the earth is not going to shake less. It is going to shake more. And God's, God's trajectory of humanity all throughout human history is a movement towards the world, right? We sang a song last week, which I love. I think it's a really good song. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And that's true, especially early in our faith, but at what point does the cross move us back to the world, right? At some point, the, the cross is actually in the world. Jesus was shaken to his core, to the very point of death. And then God shakes him back to life. This is the movement of our lives is to be shaken to the point of death and shaken back to life. God did not die for us to escape this world, but so that we might go and suffer in it and know that we are overcomers by the word of the lamb and the power of the testimony, right? Amen? Y'all gotta talk more. So, I, I want to close by saying this, that we think of formation as something that we come in here to be formed and then we are sent out into the world. And I think that formation and community transformation is a little more cyclical, that I think we, we need something in the world to allow us to see the areas that we most desperately need Christ. And if you'll pull up this quote from Robert Mulholland, he says this, the process of being formed in the image of Christ takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness to Christ's image. God is present to us in the most destructive aspects of our cultural captivity. God is involved with us in the most imprisoning bondage of our brokenness. It is, in our, it is as we exist in the world that it reveals our unlikeness to God. And see, I think that in here, we can, we can look at the places that we are like Christ, and we don't have to face our unlikeness to him. But when we get out in the world, we realize, oh, you see, like for me, like I don't struggle with anxiety, but I do struggle with anger. And so like I can be in here and control my environment, and it makes a defense mechanism, so I don't have to deal with that. But when I go out into the world and someone cuts me off or someone does when a fire alarm goes off, right? And it's like, I, I have to deal with why am I unlike you, God? What is it? And even in the midst of broken family relationships, these things that many of you are struggling with, how is God revealing to you how you are unlike him? Maybe these things are opportunities to be formed into his image. The other, the other passage from the lecturing today was from, uh, from Luke, where 
the Sadducees question Jesus about marriage, and they say, okay, well, say there's a, say there's a man who gets married, and he, uh, he can't have kids, and then there's, the Jewish law says a brother must marry that person, and then it happens seven times, and they never have kids. Who's married in the afterlife to that person? And Jesus says, look, in the afterlife, no one is given in marriage. This is not how it works. And you see, even these institutions that we, that, we, that we prioritize in our lives, they are not a priority in heaven because we are being, even marriage is a, is a formational tool for us to be guided into the image of God. This is a, we are all on this trajectory towards being made into his image and we must be present to the world's sufferings if we want to do that. So what I would say is that we have to be very encouraged by God to know that he is with us, that he lives within your very being. And that in the midst of your struggle, of your struggles and your trials, that God is not going to leave you and that you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken to the point that you cannot represent him in this life. So be active and continue. Do not give up. The world may be behind us and the cross before us, but the world is also ahead of us. And so I would say practically, like, stay in touch with the news. It doesn't have to divide us. You can be present to the sufferings of this world. Form relationships, even who are not Christians, okay? It's extremely beneficial to form relationships outside of this place. Do that, because in those relationships, you will find not that you are going to be formed, that you don't, you don't have to be formed by unhealthy husbands and wives, all right? They exist, they're out in our community, you know, we all have our, those friends. But I think that if we can be present to their sufferings, then we might also realize that we can be a voice for God in their lives. I would say do business, like it doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to be a greedy person. Like there is a, there's a trajectory in in business to be greedy. And I don't think that you can, you can do business and not be filled with greed. Be creative. Have, you know, I think that like maybe a good example that came to me yesterday was like, I think that instead of having like prayer meetings at your house, think about having a dinner party at your house where people from your community might actually have a place that doesn't feel like one of those Christian radio things. You know what I'm saying? These are, we have, I'm not saying prayer meetings are bad. I'm just saying, we have to rethink a little bit. Like these aren't the means by which people in our, in our world, if you want to have a sustained church going forward, be creative. And I would say in, engage in the table events. Like I was literally so touched. Like we've had, we had a table event in September. A woman came in from our community who was very much struggling um, with parenting. And she came in drunk because she was so broken. And at one point in the night, she threw up at the event, and what I saw was the handful of, of the River City people in here that were there were gathered around her, supporting her, in the midst of her intoxication, and like, there's something beautiful about that, right? It, it, it's being present to the suffering of another person, and I think that we've got to create more opportunities for these things to happen. So, even if you're like, well, I don't understand how, the, how I can participate at the table, just come participate. Like there's opportunities because there's people from the community. Just be there, be present to the needs of others. And lastly, I would say be, in, be a non-anxious presence. And I'm not saying like 
for something, but allow the world to impress you in such a way that you may impress the world. Amen? So uh, worship, I don't know, I guess we're going to do this. Maybe play, maybe play a couple minutes, and because um, I want to give a ch- people a chance to respond. Um, if there's a couple of prayer teams that want to come up, um, if you'll stand with me. God, thank you so much that your spirit is alive and well. Um, thank you, God, for the fire alarm that annoys me a lot. But I thank you, God. I really, I feel like even for those of you today, maybe something I say resonates with you. Be aware that that God may be sounding an alarm for you for something in your life that God maybe wants you to be present to. So we open our ears to those things, God, and, and to, to acknowledge that we're not alone, that there are, there are people in this room who would love to partner together to seek freedom and healing. And so, God, we, we move towards you. So as you come to the, you know, receive prayer today or even to reflect, I would ask you, where are you shaking? Where are you shaking in your life or have been shaken that God wants to settle you? Where are you struggling to see how God has any actual relevance in your life? That God might bring his peace, that you might be the temple of God, restored. And God, we pray for your church, God, that you would rebuild it. But start with us, rebuild us, restore our faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, God, thank you so much uh, for what you've done today. Thank you, God, for in the midst of shaky times, God, that we get to be present to you and that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Send us this week into our worlds to be salt and to light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.